Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Last week, as Angus rightfully said, Liam spoke about the church being the bride of Christ. And in some ways, we're almost looking at the exact opposite of that, where the church is the army of God. But the amazing thing is not either or. It's like what we sung this morning, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, but he is also the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And so there's no um, differences in the sense or or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conflicts. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. There's no conflicts. Jesus is both the lion who roars as well as the lamb who was sacrificed. And in the same way, it's true for the church that, yes, we are the bride of Christ, but we're also the army of God. And you'll see a picture of how I've best tried to depict that. And, um, and that is a bride and an army, but we're still the church. Just as we are God's workmanship, which was the first metaphor for the church, the first picture, as well as the household of God, a, a, another face of the church. And then two weeks ago, I spoke about the body of Christ, the church being the body of Christ. All of that gives us, in some ways, a, a fuller and richer and broader picture of the church. And so, girls this morning, if you're a girl, just wave at me. No, no, young girls. I'm looking for un- unmarried girls. There we go. Now, I've never had a daughter. Thank you. I've never had a daughter, but I can assume that every girl one day wants to wear a wedding dress, like the picture there. I would hope that would be true. Because I've certainly seen friends of mine, little girls, dress up in wedding dresses. And uh, as they grow up, they can't wait for the day when they're going to walk down the aisle and meet the man of their dreams, Prince Charming. Girls, is that true? Emma, where are you? Emma, you're not quite there yet, but that may come sooner. Shane's saying, no, 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 don't let that come too soon. That's the girls. But what about the boys? I think the boys love to dress up as soldiers, hey, in the army. Maybe you've even dreamt about being a soldier in the army. Well, the good news is if you're a girl looking forward to being a bride or a boy looking forward to being a soldier, you know what? If you belong to Jesus, you are both of those. You are both of those. And you don't have to look forward to it. You can already begin to live in it but in a spiritual way. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And so our metaphor, our picture, our analogy for the church being an army comes from Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul reminds us that we're in a spiritual battle. And not only are we in a spiritual battle, but we are fighting a very real enemy. Not a man or a woman, but the devil who is known as Satan. And so the devil would love to get us to think that he is a figment of our imagination, almost a cartoon character. Or on the other hand, can I say, we can become so obsessed with the devil 
that we end up losing sight of Christ, where we're ending up looking for a demon behind every bush. Now, both of those are extremes, and there's the picture of that. For some of us, we think, ah, I don't want to think of, you know, the devil, he's just a, a cartoon character who has no power, has no influence, has no reach. Or on the other hand, we become so, as I said, obsessed that he becomes the all, the everything, and we, we so fear him and what he's going to do that we forget that we have the victory in Jesus. Both those extremes, both those excesses are unhelpful, which means then we need to script, script. We need to stick to scripture. We need to see what the Bible says. Yes, we're in a battle. Yes, there is a war going on. But the good news is, as we'll see, God has given us everything we need to fight this battle. And not only to fight it, but to overcome and to win and to stand firm in what God has for us. All right? Is that all good? Right, so let's read. If you've got a Bible, you can turn. Otherwise, it is going to come up behind me. If you're in the back row, it might be a bit small. I don't know. But uh, we're reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And as I said, all of our pictures of the church have come out of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read from verse 10 through to 18. All right. So remember, children, if you could just help me by just coloring in quietly, listening will be good. Um, just so everyone can focus on what I'm saying. So Paul writes and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let me just pause there and remind us that strength comes from the Lord and from us being in him. We don't have strength in ourselves. We don't have the ability, the authority or the power in ourselves to, to win this battle. And that's why Paul starts by saying, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. Now, let me remind you again, this is your responsibility. You have to put on the armor of God and not just some of the armor, but the full armor. Every part that is going to be depicted as we keep reading here. Because let me again say the devil is no fool. He will attack where you unprotected. All right. And here it is, put on the full armor of God so that here's the reason for the spiritual armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our battle, our war, our fight is not against flesh and blood. What do you think the Bible means by flesh and blood, children? People. Our fight is not against people. That's just Paul's way of putting it. But it's against spiritual forces, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, now that you know this, now that you know who you're fighting, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice there, when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, 
Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, isn't that a powerful passage of scripture? Huh? And children, as you color in your pictures there on the armor of God, I hope that as you do that, you'll identify what some of those weapons are that God has given us as we look at this passage of scripture. Huh? All right. So <laughs> this is going to be fun and games. Huh? Emma, thank you. So what was the reason for Paul writing this? Well, it was to show us, both individually and as a church, how we can stand against the devil's schemes, how we can stand against his attacks, which are very real. And so God has given us a specific, or has given us specific armor that he wants us to put on, that he wants us to apply to our lives that will not only protect us, but will enable us to stand firm no matter what the devil throws at us. And he is continually throwing fiery darts at you and I. But we have to understand that the application that we're reading here is both a personal application as well as a corporate application. In other words, as a church. Now, for most of you, no doubt, if you've been part of church for any length of time, you would have heard this being preached or you yourselves would have read it in Scripture and our natural response is to apply it to our own lives. And it's a good response and a necessary response of what these pieces of armor mean for me. How can I stand firm? And that's good and true. But this morning, I want to turn things around a little bit. And I want to focus on the corporate application. In other words, how we can be an effective army, not just skillful soldiers. All right? Although you can't have one without the other. I understand that. But I'm not going to address you individually this morning. I want to address the church because that's our series, The Church Complete. We want a complete church that includes the bride, but equally the army. So what does that mean for us and our togetherness? That's what I'm hoping to tackle this morning, all right? So of course there'll be personal application. But I'm trying to steer away from the personal and bring it into the corporate. Because as the village church here in Narawahia, God asks us to stand firm. God asks us to use the armor he's given us because he wants this church to count, eh? to count in his purposes. And so that's what we're going to look at. All right. So how can we be an effective army? Well, I've got a number of things. I'm scared to tell you how many because you might dial out, but not that many. But number one, if we're looking at this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to draw these things through here, the first thing we have to do as the church is to stand and to stand firm. Not shakily, not wobbly, but stand firm. And you see that Paul uses the word, four, uh, the word stand four times in this discourse. So one's got to say it's got to be important when it comes to spiritual warfare, hey? And so the armor is given so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. 
against his attacks, against his strategies. But to stand firm means that we have to hold our ground. It means then that we don't retreat. We don't give ground or the gains that we've made in God back to the devil. That's what Paul means by standing firm. And the truth is the church is being tossed about by the voices, by the opinions, by the culture, by the ideological agendas, by the false doctrines of the day. Oh, if there is ever a time that the church is being tossed to and fro, let me tell you, it is today. But equally, let me say, rather than being swayed by every voice, every opinion, and what the culture of the day is just throwing at us, I want to say the church needs to make a stand and we need to take a stand when it comes to things like righteousness, truth, and justice. The church needs to start leading the way again. There was a time where the church led the way and society followed the lead of the church. But it's almost like it's been turned around now and sadly the church is beginning to lead, it's beginning to follow the lead of this world. God says no more. It's time for the church to take a stand and to stand firm. And that's the first thing that I want to present to you this morning as the church, the village church in Narawa here, take your stand, hold ground, don't give ground back to what the, what the enemy or the systems of this world are demanding. Number two, it's for the church, this church to be committed to truth, to the truth of the gospel, which is depicted by a belt. You'll see in your coloring in there. And Paul writes this earlier on in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.13. And he says, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And again, I want to say truth is under attack. And the truth is, many see truth as relative and no longer as absolute. And it's infiltrated the church. But let me get back to what Scripture says about the church. That the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 And if that is true, then the church has to hold the truth up for all to see. Not hide the truth. Not keep the truth in closed doors. But to hold the truth up for all to see. Because should we compromise on truth? Or should we water the truth of the gospel down? Let me tell you, we'll bring the whole of society down with us. Please hear that. But then it also means that we need to be committed to the entire gospel message. The full counsel of God's truth. Because if we are not committed to that, you know what? We become lopsided. And we end up with extremes. And we end up with preferences and we end up with prejudices because we're not holding to the full counsel of God's truth. And so we are a people, we are a church about justification and sanctification. We're a church that is committed to the word and to the spirit. We're a church that is committed to grace and effort, to divine sovereignty 
and human responsibility, to faith and works. It's never either or. It's got to be both and. And we've got to commit ourselves to both of those. Because so often churches, individuals and churches, go off on tangents. Oh, we're a word church. Or on the other hand, we're a Holy Spirit church. No, you are a word and a spirit church if we're going to be faithful to truth. Someone asked A.W. Tozer once, what is the most important, um, what, how did he put it? Let me get it right. I should have thought about it before I said it. Now I've opened my mouth and I've gone too far. But he was saying something of an airplane, you know, you, that's right. I've got it. I can delete this off the recording, this little part. Um, the question was asked, this very question, what is more important, word or spirit? And Toza said, what is more important on an airplane, the left wing or the right wing? In other words, both, eh? All right, number three. For the church to be righteous and to display the righteousness of Christ and to live up to what we are in Christ which is the righteousness of God. And that's depicted as a breastplate. You know, a survey was done a number of years back to ask the question, what is the difference between Christians and non-Christians? Interesting, a survey was done there to highlight what are the differences? People who call themselves Christians, those who don't. Let's see what these big differences are in society. And they tallied up the survey and they got to the results and they could only find two differences. Between those who called themselves Christians and those that were non-Christians. And the two differences were this. Christians went to church more often than non-Christians. And Christians complained more than non-Christians. Now, what an indictment to the breast of righteousness that God has called us to, to, to put on. Hey? In many ways, the church has lost its way. When it comes to righteousness. But here's the thing. It's our righteousness, not just individual, but corporate righteousness that gets people's attention. And it's what ultimately points people to Jesus. When they see the righteousness of the village church in Narawahia, reaching out into the community, embracing the lost, the hurting, the broken, the disenfranchised. Oh, it speaks volumes, eh? It speaks volumes to this world. And Jesus says the same in Matthew 5, 16, when he said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. In other words, they may see your righteousness and glorify your father in heaven. That's the results of them seeing your righteousness. They look to Jesus and glorify him. And so as God's army, it's our righteousness that advances the kingdom of God. And it's our righteousness that pushes back the powers of darkness. Don't compromise on it. Don't undermine it. Don't dilute it. Don't fob it off. Don't think it's not important. Don't think you can get away with things when God sees everything. Because righteousness is an important part of our spiritual warfare against the enemy. We take off our righteousness. And I want to tell you, which covers the heart, the innermost being of our lives, those fiery darts get in there. And suddenly we, we bitter, we angry, we resentful, we unforgiving. We, we, um, we've just lost our way. Why? Because righteousness has been taken off. Eh? 
Amen? Still with me? Great. Children, you good? Number four. We've got eight, so I'll just settle you in. We're going through these quickly. It's for the church to be ready and prepared to do battle against the enemy and a readiness to share the gospel of peace with everyone, everywhere. And that is depicted by boots on a soldier. eh? All right. And so it's knowing that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And it's a power not only to save, but it's a power to repel the works of the devil. Because every time someone comes to faith in Christ Jesus, not only do the angels in heaven rejoice, but can I say the devil and his demons get routed as a result of it. Every time someone responds to the gospel of salvation, things change, not only in their lives, not only in their surrounds, but in the heavenly realm as well. And so we as a church have got to be ready in every way, ready to defend the gospel, ready to confirm the gospel, Philippians 1.7, but also ready and prepared to answer anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, 1 Peter 3.15. We've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. Yes, individually, but also as a church, which is our focus. How ready are we for the harvest that God wants to bring in you? How ready are we? And that's a challenge for us as an eldership. Do we have the structures in place? Do we have the people? Do we have the leaders? Do we have the life groups? Do we have the welcome teams? Do we have the baristas? Do we have whatever is needed for the harvest to come in here and to grow and to become disciples of our Lord Jesus? Are we expecting for people to get born again in our meetings? How ready are we for that? How ready are we for the the homeless to come in here and be a part of this church? How ready are we for the sinners, for the tax collectors, for those that, that Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he hung with them? But he reminds us he came to seek and to save what was lost. How ready are we in our own hearts? How ready are we as a local church to embrace those God wants to bring in here? Amen? Let me say the one, the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps would say to his church, wake up, O sleeper, Ephesians 5.14, because it's time for the church to arise and shine, holding out the gospel of peace as the hope for this world. Hope for this world. That's what Paul's getting here. When he talks about the readiness. Number five. It's to be a church full of faith. Not just individuals. But a church that is full of faith. Full of expectation. Full of hope for what God wants to do. And that's depicted as a shield. That again protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me tell you. The devil not only wants to destroy you, but he wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Please hear that this morning. And not just the universal church. He wants to destroy every local church. That's his mission. That's his goal. He wants to destroy. 
And he'll allow and do a whole lot of things in order to try and do that. But, but, but Jesus is praying. Just like when, 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 when um, Jesus had to challenge Simon. And he says, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat, like wheat but I am praying for you that you may not fail, that your faith may not fail. And after you've returned, strengthen the brothers. Amazing, eh? Jesus is praying. And he's praying that the faith of the church may not fail. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Because here's the thing about faith. Faith, is, faith not only pleases God, but faith also allows us to prevail. And it allows us to advance in the things that God has called us to. You know, when Roman soldiers, in, in the time that Paul was writing this, when they stood with their shields shoulder to shoulder, it formed an in, impre, impenetrable wall. That's the word. Nothing could get through. But let me tell you, one soldier, one shield removed, it left a gap for the enemy to get in. And that's why the church is the community of all believers the priesthood of all believers, where God wants us, and I talked about this as the body, where God wants every part, every member of his body working together, operating together, forming an impenetrable wall so that the fiery darts of the enemy cannot get into the church. You remove yourself, you remove your shield from that wall, you leave a goal, a hole. There's a gap. There's an opportunity for the enemy to get in. That's why we're the army of God. We're not isolated soldiers. In fact, if a soldier is not part of the army, they're either a soldier of fortune, they're either a mercenary, or at worst, they're a deserter. God calls soldiers to be part of an army who have a part to play, a role to play, to ensure the protection of the church. And everyone has that responsibility. Take your shield down and you leave a gap. Amen. And so as much as faith protects, I want to say also it enables us and it causes us to advance as God's army. And so if one person's faith can put a thousand to flight, And if two people's faith can put 10,000 to flight, can you imagine when there is unified and combined faith working together as the household of God? Can you imagine when the village church rises up with faith, collective corporate faith to say, this is what God has said. This is what he's called us to. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it together, but not just my faith, but all of our faith together in this. Because all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can say to that mountain, go, and it will be go. That little bit of faith, can you imagine Angus's mustard seed of faith, Kelly's mustard seed of faith, Cole's mustard seed of faith, all and all of our mustard seeds of faith working together. Let me tell you, you get a mustard tree. <laughs> that is powerful, where the birds of the air can come in and find home. And everything else with it, eh? All right. Number six. 
We're going through these fairly quickly, which is good. Hey, children, you're right. Number six, we're coming to the end. To be a church that is secure in its salvation. Secure and thriving in its salvation. Knowing that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That we are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin one day. Because salvation is past tense, present tense, and future tense. And that is true no matter what the devil says. No matter what he accuses you of. No matter what he says or does. eh? We have to be secure in our salvation. And so the knowledge of our salvation is depicted by a helmet in your drawing. And the helmet protects the mind, which, of course, is the battleground of our lives. Where does the enemy attack? The mind. Wants to get this mind off course. Because if the mind's off course, the eyes drop their gaze from Jesus and start to put them on all sorts of other things. And then the heart gets influenced and affected. And so we go on. eh? And that's why you become what you believe. Which is why Paul tells us to take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. And why it is that we need to think about things which are true, noble, right, lovely, pure, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, etc., etc. And not on the things that are contrary to this. Philippians 4 verse 8. And so knowing that we've been rescued, that we've been redeemed from the ultimate enemy enables us to face all secondary enemies, eh? whatever they may be. And so I want to say, wear this helmet as an emblem of your victory, the victory you have in Christ, the helmet of salvation. Number seven, to be a church that wields the sword of the spirit which Paul tells us is the word of God. Or more accurately, if you look at the Greek construction, the utterances of God. And so what does it mean to take up? What does it mean to wield the sword of the Spirit? Well, it's to be a speaker of God's word. Just as Jesus did to the devil, hey? When he was in the wilderness being tempted, what did he say? It is written. And he quoted scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He spoke the word of God. And can I say it's that authority, inspired by the Spirit, that not only resists the devil, but causes him to flee. eh? James 4 verse 7. Not just causes him to flee, forces him to flee. And so Jesus is the word of God. And as such, there is great power in declaring his name, his character, and the victory that we have in him. Speak it out. Be be speakers of God's word. Don't just have the word of God. Most people think that's what it means, to have the word of God. No, the sword is when you begin to speak it and declare it and break things by the power of that word, Jesus, the word of God. Number eight, lastly, you still okay? Right, to be a church that prays. Oh, yes, individual prayer, important. It's going to be hard to pray together if you're not praying alone. But don't only pray alone. God calls us to pray together. 
to be a church that prays. And so prayer may not have a piece of armor attached to it like the others. But let me tell you, it is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare, which is why the devil will distract us to get us to not pray. He will throw everything at us, every distraction, every reason why we should not pray together. Typical tactic of the devil. And the truth is prayer is hard work. eh? Let's not um, underplay it. Prayer is hard work, which is why Paul says we need to pray in the spirit and with the spirit's help, especially when we're interceding for others and for situations outside of ourselves. Sometimes a whole lot easier to pray for yourself, eh? And I don't know how many times I've been guilty of just spending so much time praying for myself, my needs, my wants, my desires, my pleasures, whatever it may be, and not nearly enough time on others, be they people, situations, conflicts, whatever it may be. That's why we need to pray in the Spirit with our ear inclined to what the Holy Spirit is saying and where he's leading us, and we do it with his help. eh? Truth is, please hear this this morning. This is your one takeaway this morning. Listen carefully. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Please hear that. A prayerless church is a powerless church, which is why we pray together, which is why when you meet in life groups, we pray, why we have prayer meetings, because we pray, we believe in it. It's important. Listen to what Paul says here and just how he relied on God's people when it came to prayer. In 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, he says, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us. How? By your prayers. Paul relied on their prayers. And he says, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's where the answer came through, eh? The prayers of people around Paul. And so as the church, we not only need each other, but we need each other's prayers. Please hear that. We were never called to journey alone in our faith, nor were we ever called to fight alone. No, God puts us together because we are stronger together. And he asks us to pray together why? Because if two or, th- or, or more of you, if two of you agree about anything you ask for, prayer, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, pray in my name, there am I with them. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. We cannot underplay the importance of corporate prayer, prayer meetings gatherings where we pray. And I'll give you something as a heads up. No one else yet knows this besides the elders. But come February the 10th, we're going to do a full day of 12 hours of prayer and fasting as a church because we are serious about God. We're serious about what God's called us to. And we need your prayers. We need the prayers of God's people if we're going to walk into those things that God has, has, has for us. So please mark it in your calendars. 
Saturday, the 10th of February, day of prayer and fasting. We'll give details how that's going to look. But this is going to be a big rock for us as the village church. And we ask you to be a part of that, eh? in line with this that we've heard this morning. Let's close. Now, I know my conclusion is always three points, but I'll try not to give a three-point conclusion here. But the church is an army because we're in a spiritual battle. But again, God has given us everything we need in armor and in weapons to counter the devil and everyone of his devices, every one of them. And the challenge for us is to step up and to use what God has given us. Please. It would be a terrible thing if we left here with a little bit of knowledge about the armor of God and the battle and the warfare we're in and nothing changes. No, God wants us to step up and he wants us to step into these things. Why? So that we can stand firm. Why? So that we can be people not only of truth, but people of the truth. It's so that our righteousness can be on display for all to see, where we are ready and prepared to do battle against the enemy by pushing back the powers of darkness with the gospel of peace, where our faith is living and active. It's not just a noun. It is a verb, something we do, something we press into God with, where our salvation is not just past tense, but is a present reality in the way we live our lives, where we are declarers of God's word, both the Logos word as well as the Rhema word, and not just keepers of his word, not just hiding his word in our hearts, which we need to do, but being speakers of his word, and where we are prayers, not just believing in the power of prayer, but doing it and doing it together in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so practical that we don't have to guess what each of these pieces of armor represent or what they mean for us and to us. But Lord, you clearly spell it out. It's because you want us to know, you want us to understand, but more than that, you want us to live in this. And so as true as this is for us as individuals, as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Lord, this is also true for us as the local church, that we can be this that you've called us to be, that we can do what you've called us to do, and that you've given us everything we need in order to protect ourselves, in order to stand firm, but also to advance your kingdom. And I ask as a church that we would take these things on board. Yes, apply them to our own lives, but also say, how does this affect us as the village church? And then to be able to walk into those things. Help us, Father, to be a people, a church that is front-footed and not on the back foot. A church that is so ready and prepared. A church that is willing to serve your purposes here in this generation. A church that is willing to advance the kingdom of God. Because we're not afraid of this world. We're not afraid of the enemy and, and, and his devices. But Lord, we honor you and we choose to do what you've called us to do. And so help us, Father, help us from this day on, individually and as a church, to apply this armor to our lives, to see this armor being outworked in this church so that we can be fruitful 
in Jesus' name. Amen.